Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Welcome to our podcast series, The Transformational Impact of Data on Your Business. And today, during our episode, we have a deep dive into data integration and data transformation. And therefore, we have an expert in data integration in our show, Mark Maxwell. Mark, you're heading UK and Ireland strategic sales for Fivetrend, and maybe you can give a short introduction about yourself. Yes, that's correct. And, and thank you very much for having me. So I run the UKI sales team for Fivetrend, an automated ELT company based out of San Francisco. I was employee number 70 for Fivetrend globally, number seven in EMEA, and now we're up to about 50 in EMEA and 350 globally. I'm Ronald Van Loon. I will be the host today, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Intelligent World, which is a data analytics consultancy and research network firm. I'm also a course advisor for a leading professional certification company called Simply Learn, and I'm the author of multiple coaching series for business leaders and C-level executives in how to succeed in the intelligent economy. And today, as I mentioned already, we're going to discuss all the ins and outs and the challenges and success cases about data integration. So let's straight dive into it. I speak to quite some organizations about data integration, and what I see a lot is that the data quality is poor, that it's unorganized, that it's informative, and on the other hand, companies start talking about, oh, we want to apply machine learning, we want to have great visualizations to support our decisions. And Mark, if you speak to customers, what kind of data integration hurdles do companies face? What do you see? And how can these companies overcome these type of challenges? Yeah, so what I might do actually is just zoom out a little bit on business intelligence as a whole and data integration as a whole. I think this whole kind of movement started in the 1980s where people realized that they could make their businesses more intelligent with the use of data and the use of computers, actually. So back then, people were trying to get data and information out of computers and computers were big, hard, physical things and data was stored in physical computers and it was a very difficult thing to do. And there were some tools that were basically invented in those days, software tools, to do that extraction and then to start using business intelligence. And those tools were obviously all on-premise and were quite code-heavy and that sort of thing, but they were absolutely revolutionary for that time. And that's where the ETL process was born, where people would extract, transform, and then load data into these physical computers. They would transform the data first because it was going to be very expensive to store a a load of data in these physical computers. So they needed to kind of compress the data and only load in exactly what they were going to use. They didn't want to have any waste. So that was probably the original hurdle when it came to data integration. Fast forwarding then 20 or 30 years to where we are now, the hurdle has changed, but not all that much. So at the moment now, the hurdles that people are facing is that that process remains, even though it's a 30 or 40 year old process. It largely remains, and it is a very code-heavy process when you're running ETL. And that can be a, a, a bit of a challenge for people. Another one then, a more modern issue, is that a lot of people are using a lot of cloud-based applications to run their businesses, whether it's advertising technology or internal project management software, etc., uh, customer support software like Zendesk, Salesforce, all these sorts of things. These all have their own APIs. All of those APIs have their own little nuances and some of them might change the way they provide data quite regularly that's particularly prevalent with the advertising technologies that's a hurdle for people because when you're constantly trying to get an answer out of something that 
to put it in layman's terms, essentially keeps changing its mind or keeps changing the way it gives answers, that creates a bit of a puzzle and a bit of manual work for any data engineer who's looking to extract data from it. And then maybe lastly, as, as a hurdle for data integration is just the fact that data is siloed between all of these different applications and databases. So when you're trying to get the whole business to be intelligent and in touch with itself in terms of different divisions, knowing what's going on throughout the whole business, not just their division, the siloed nature of using these applications can be a hurdle for people too. What type of solutions do you see already popping up? Salesforce is definitely our bestseller. It's, it's probably the most common one. I guess you can probably measure how common they are based on the success of the company itself and how, how many companies it has managed to put itself in. So Salesforce, Zendesk is very popular as well. Google Analytics, uh, Facebook Ads, and then a lot of the, the cloud-based databases uh, as well, like uh, SQL Server, MySQL, these sorts of things. And you were explaining already, yeah, let's say the whole process of data on one end, it, it's quite old, but it, it's changing now as well. And data is only value is only valuable if you have insights that support your decisions. But can you explain in, in more detail why organizations need to incorporate the data integration into their analytics strategy? And can you give some examples how companies benefit from this? Yeah, sure. So I get asked this a lot. When I'm, it's very easy to explain to people within the data industry what, what Fivetran does. It's very hard to explain to our families and our friends who have no uh, no interest and, and no idea about the whole world, So, or the, the whole data world. So what I tend to do is, is basically use the analogy of a human body, where a body has a nervous system. And if you think, for example, that your hamstrings and your calves and your legs, if you have a pain in one of them, and a physio presses it, it might often bring up a pain in your lower or upper back or even your neck, which is a sign of how interrelated a lot of those muscles are. I would transfer that analogy over into the business intelligence space where you have one division that might have an issue. And when that issue is pressed, you might sense a pain coming up in a different division. Now, when you allow all of those divisions to remain siloed as they are by default when they're they're using different applications and data storages, et cetera, that creates a less intelligent nervous system going throughout the business. And therefore, the business is less intelligent and is, is functioning less optimally. So when you allow those divisions to talk to each other and to not be so siloed, that nervous system becomes totally interlinked and makes the whole body much more intelligent. So businesses can realize, say, if they're looking at their, use a really simple example, someone selling t-shirts and they have Facebook ads, Google ads, Salesforce for the people they're trying to sell to and a database of, of people that they have sold to, they can look at their maybe highest paying customers within the database, see what their sales cycle was like going through Salesforce, see if they were shown a Facebook ad or a Google ad or what combination of, of both of those worked best so that they can then duplicate that behavior, scale it and become much more successful over time. So that's a really simple example of how data integration and cross analysis of data does make for a more intelligent, as I say, nervous system throughout a business that allows it to run more efficiently over time. Your team at, at Fivetron, you did some research and, and benchmarked data warehouses. Can you elaborate on this research, and especially on the part what benchmarks are in place to help organizations really to better evaluate their data analytics needs? In terms of the BI space, you've got extraction and integration. That's what we do, the, the pipelines, and we're definitely the ugly part. Then you've got the part, if you look at it as a three-person team, the person on the team who probably maybe gets the most credit is the data warehouse, as they're essentially the midfielders who are setting everything up and, and they're definitely in the middle of all of the action. 
And then at the end, you've got the visualization tools who essentially score the goals to use a football analogy. And that's the tool that everyone is familiar with because it's used by most people throughout the organization these days. And it gets a lot of the credit as well. But the warehouse is traditionally the star of the show. And it is based on the warehouse that you're going to be able to do different things with it. And the organization will be subject to different limitations. Now, warehousing really changed this game back in 2007 when the cloud became really prolific and kind of just caught fire across the globe. And a lot of smart people out there realized that cloud warehousing was indeed the future. So you had some of these companies and projects pop up, a company like Snowflake or a project like Google BigQuery or Amazon Redshift, Microsoft Azure and now Synapse as well, where people realized it would be much cheaper and much easier to run data warehousing from the cloud rather than from on-premise. I guess UIs had taken enough of a progress at that stage as well that the user interfaces on these warehouses were much easier to work with as well. Now, we're partners with all of the warehouses I just mentioned. We don't have a favor, typically. We're probably closest with Snowflake just by default, and we've gotten to know those guys on a personal level quite well, but we are doing a lot of work with all three. And when people, as they almost always do, ask us for a recommendation on which, it's important that we kind of zoom into their use case a little bit more and realize what they're going to be looking to do with the warehouse because there is no one warehouse that is kind of ultimately better than any of the others. Talking about data warehouses, performance is very important for the different type of analysis. So what do kind of feedback do clients give you when they're talking about the data warehouse decisions if they look at the workload needs and the analytics processes? Um, yeah, it's a good question. So there's a couple of things to look at there. Like concurrency would definitely be one. That's one that we see come up quite a bit where if you've got 20 people roughly using it at the same time, that warehouse might start to slow down a little bit and struggle where another one is actually scaled or, or designed for scaled use and for concurrent use. So the two warehouses I'm talking about there are Amazon Redshift and Snowflake, where in a use case where you are going to have more than 20 people querying it at a given time, Snowflake might be better for that particular instance, but obviously there's going to be other factors included. So concurrency is definitely going to be a key one. If you need a very fast warehouse, speed is going to depend on the use case there as well. So there's no single warehouse that will be faster than the others. There'll be pricing models that will punish and favor certain use cases or behaviors as well. So if you have a very heavy query use, there might be one warehouse out there that will kind of punish you for using a lot of queries, whereas another one won't. Or if you're storing a lot, their pricing model might punish high storage as opposed to high compute. So definitely look at the pricing model and match that up against your use case because you might assume that all warehouses will be costing quite equal, but actually your use case might be one that really complements a certain warehouse or really doesn't complement another. Another thing, I guess, then is just elasticity. If your use case is going to scale up and down, which one is going to accommodate for that the best and the most economically and also then if the warehouse is going to be fully managed or not that would be a large part of it so there's something we do encourage people to look at and, and next let's say to this part you also have the part where you see the maturity part and some companies they just start thinking about using data the other one have already in-house developed ai applications so there's a huge difference between companies how mature they are if you then look from the maturity from a company, when is automated data integration really beneficial for companies? That is another question that we get quite a lot. So recently, I've been focusing mostly on 
enterprises where a thousand or more employees and these are kind of really established businesses and they kind of have complex systems already etc and then i used to and, and will be again soon focusing back on smbs and back into that whole game so i'm going to break your question to two so at what point is automated data integration useful for companies i'm going to break it into at what point is data integration and then at what point is it useful to have it automated so to the first part of that question and data integration i think for early stage companies who know exactly what they're trying to do and, and kind of have a level of business intelligence already, it might not be priority number one. You've got a lot of these, and it's not in my interest to say that, but you've got a lot of these tools out there that are pretty fancy and like really cool. You can do some really cool things with them. But if a business is probably less than 10 people and is really just getting going and is kind of even in the stage of looking for seed funding, it might not be priority number one for those businesses to go and pay for data integration tools. They might not even have much data to work with in the first place. So how useful data is going to be to a business is largely dependent on how much data they have. If you're really, really early stage and you don't have much data at all, it's probably not even worth the cost of the tool for you to do much with that data. So you need to go out, make more sales, lose more sales, et cetera, to make, say, your Salesforce data more useful to you. But once you're at, say, Series A stage and you do have a customer base and you do have a lot of data building up there. I think at that stage, you certainly would start looking to take that data seriously and really use it to your advantage. So they say data is the most valuable resource in the world and the new oil and all that sort of stuff. But that's only true if you're using it intelligently. If it's just sitting there and you're not actually analyzing it, then it's not that valuable a resource at all. So, And obviously, there's a bit of a theta on the value of data as well in that the sooner you start using it, the more valuable it is over time. So that's something that I think a lot of these early stage companies should look at. On to the second question, when's it going to be useful to automate that data integration? To be honest, I would say always, and I'll explain why. Going to that Series A company with very few employees, every employee's input matters a lot. Like what that person does in a day, if it's only 50 employee company. What one given person does on the day is worth 2% of that overall company's effort. So you don't want that person doing a process like building and maintaining ETL pipelines. You want that person doing something that's really going to move the needle strategically for the business. Now, if you're a Series A company with 50 employees, you might only have one or two data people on your team and data stack. You don't want them working on the, the manual process of bringing the data in. You want them actually analyzing the data working maybe even some data science so they can learn about what the company has done and what it should be doing going forward. So for that reason, that kind of opportunity cost of labor, I would say it's very important for early stage companies around the series A stage from then onwards to be taking automated data processing seriously. I, I think it's definitely a bad use of their time to be working on manual pipelines. And then at a later stage, like back into the enterprise of companies with 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 employees, what we're used to seeing there is these established companies using established methods. And established is kind of a euphemism for old methods because they still have their heads and processes maybe back in the early 2000s or 90s or even 80s where with this ETL process, which was kind of, as I described earlier, implemented by force. It was their only option to do ETL. Otherwise, the warehousing would be too expensive. But now with cloud warehousing, that's no longer true. So the ELT, and which allows for automation, becomes the kind of obvious thing to do. Now, 
Why is it necessary for them to do it? Cost. If you have a large company, you might have, let's just say, 100 data engineers working on this manual ETL process. If each of those engineers is making 100 grand a year, that's like $10 million going into maintaining this process, which is just is crazy. If you automated that process, not only would you save yourself a lot of operating cost in cash, you'd also have 90 to 100, like literally could be all of those people working further down the data stream where they can do analysis, data science, insights, all that sort of stuff instead. These are highly skilled and educated people. They're expensive to have on the payroll and you want to make use of having them there. They can do a lot for the business beyond just maintaining code and scripts. So that's why I would take it very seriously for large enterprises to consider this when they think about their total cost of ownership and getting the most out of their highly skilled staff. You were talking about ETL data pipelines. Can, can we dive a little bit more in detail? So how does such a process look like if it has been automated? And then can you give some examples of a company that went through the whole journey from beginning till end? Yeah, sure. So uh, ETL pipelines, extract, transform, load, you're pulling the data out of its source, let's just say if it is a database or a Salesforce or a different application. And you're generally writing these scripts, either in Python, Java, all sorts of different things. The journey that ETL has been on, if you kind of allow, is that people would literally have just written these scripts and that would have been extremely cumbersome. And then you had a couple of tools come along who made it, they kind of, they were still script-based tools, but they would accelerate the use and kind of leverage the use of the scripts that you had written. And so they made the whole thing a little bit easier. Then you had tools come in who, and this is more late, like 2010 type time, where you were able to use a user interface or a, a GUI to kind of drag and drop uh, rather than actually manually writing the scripts. And that was a big improvement because it took a lot of the manual work out of it and made the whole thing a lot faster. And it was cool. Like it was sexy to have a, a GUI like that. And that really sold for a lot of people. And then you had, I guess, the next wave of tools like Fivetran come in who were just ELT and fully automated. They didn't even have a drag and drop GUI because they could pre-map the schemas for you. So a lot of ETL is not only kind of formatting the data the way you want it to come out, but also mapping it and having, say, tables designed and how these tables are going to be laid out, how they're going to interact with each other, all this sort of stuff. And what Fivetran does is pre-maps them for you. So rather than having to choose exactly where every metric and dimension within a table is going to sit once it gets out of the, the pipeline and into the warehouse, Fivetran has done that for you already, which takes a couple of weeks off the setup, but also then makes it very easy to maintain. As I said earlier, one of the hurdles to people doing data integration is that the APIs are constantly changing at the source level. So Salesforce might constantly change their API or Facebook or whoever it is. And that's difficult for engineers to keep up with. And they kind of have to wait for things to hit the fan before they realize, oh God, that API has changed. We need to go in and find out where the change is and then like change our pipeline, change the scripts that we have, test them out for a while to make sure we're fully caught up. And they've escaped that fire alarm and then the next day it's changed again. So in automating that process or, or, or kind of fully taking away that process from the company or the customer, it becomes a lot easier for them using a tool like Fivetran than it would have with an ETL tool. And you were in the beginning talking about the analytics team, they get the credits, the end they need to have the help and need to benefit from it. Can you describe in more detail how they can benefit from such an automated data integration? 
Yeah, sure. So like there's actually food delivery service that use Fivetran and they're probably 500 to 1500 employees and they're obviously very busy right now throughout COVID delivering a lot of food throughout the countries that they target. They only had a couple of engineers who were writing the ETL pipelines and, and et cetera. We came along and we gave them the spiel and they liked it and they tried it and they bought it. So they're using Fivetran. But throughout their trial, they were looking at their data. They're able to move those engineers further downstream to really start analyzing the data rather than just processing it. And they really dug into it because that's what these guys are trained to do. It's what they wanted to do. And, and they, they kind of rolled up the sleeves and dived in. And what they found, just as a, I found this very interesting, as a food delivery service, driving vans around the city, dropping food off to people and groceries, what they found was, through analyzing their data, that they were losing a lot of money by dropping off big bottles of water because big bottles of water were cheap but really heavy and took up a lot of space in the van. And so for every run, there was maybe, let's just exaggerate and say it was like two feet squared of space taken up by a big gallon bottle of water that only cost, say, a euro or a pound. So what they did instead was remove big gallons of water from the website where you can't buy them anymore. And instead, they were able to make a, basically get a lot more profit out of that space on the van for those trips. And therefore, they became a lot more profitable during COVID than they otherwise would have. So I found that to be a very interesting use case or, or interesting use of data. Another one was they were mixing database data with HR data. This is a construction company, and they realized that the amount they were spending on insurance every year for their employees and on building sites could reduce a lot if they move the shifts from nine hours to eight hours long. Because the majority of accidents, which are what was putting up the insurance costs, the majority of accidents were happening in the ninth hour. And so by cutting down to eight hours, they actually cut down their insurance costs quite considerably. So these are the type of use cases that I always just find very interesting. In terms of my job, it doesn't really accelerate my job in any way of trying to get these people to see the light with Fivetran. But it's just very interesting to see how intelligent businesses can become when they do use data correctly. Definitely. And if you look more to the total picture, in the end, everybody has a total stack. Can you describe how automated data integration fits in such a total stack in a modern data stack? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll use like, I'm a very sporty person. So I tend to use this football analogy again of to have an insight is to score a goal. Like that, it's a brilliant thing. You can show up to the next meeting in whatever department you are and say, look at what I learned during the week. This is what we can act on. And this is how it's going to save us money or make us money or whatever it is. And that's a goal. So using a soccer analogy, that's where people are taking shots on goal. Now, if you've got 11 players in the field, traditionally with ETL, you've had half of those players trying to get the ball upfield with ETL, trying to get the ball into the warehouse. And then the warehouse is kind of like where people set themselves up to score goals. And it's basically, if you will, with the soccer analogy, it's the box. So you've got a couple of players working the ball upfield, you've got a couple of players in the box, and you've got one or two players taking shots on goal. Whereas what Fivetran and automated data ingestion does is it allows you to push all those players further up into the box. So now you've got everyone taking shots on goal, which means you score a lot more goals. That would speak to the role that Fivetran plays. And then in terms of what the actual stack looks like, the way it's evolving, people are kind of realizing that, hang on, these are really expensive and skilled workers that we have. Let's make the most of them and move them further downstream. That's one realization. The other realization is that they're moving it towards that kind of no-code area. 
So you need to be pretty skilled to work, say, a visualization tool. And it was a, a confusing interface. And someone like me, someone not very technical, would be pretty daunted by it and just wouldn't use it. And therefore, in my day-to-day job, I wouldn't be that data-driven or like business intelligent. Now, with those tools becoming easier, with kind of smoother and sexier and simpler interfaces, less technical people throughout the organization are able to use them. And so everyone pretty much uses them. If you look at a tool like Looker, the uptake of Looker across the organizations that it's in really scales very quickly because it's such a simple thing to use. So take that theory and apply it to data integration and to data warehousing. All of a sudden, you've got everyone throughout the organization going and querying, like asking their own questions of the company's data so that they can do their own individual job better, as opposed to waiting for, say, the weekly or the monthly check-in with the, the data person or the IT person to go and get them those answers. So what does the modern data stack look like? It definitely is easier to use. It looks better. It looks prettier and simpler than an old data stack. It's definitely in the cloud, that's for sure. It drives and encourages data democracy throughout a company so that the data use does really proliferate throughout a company rather than being housed in one division. And it's a lot simpler and and less scary for non-technical people than an old data stack was. You know, I really like your football example. (laughs) I need to to simplify these things for myself, Ronald. It's not. uh, As a sports person, it definitely resonates with me to describe it in those terms. Mark, it was a great conversation. Happy to discuss other angles and topics probably in, in the next podcast. Special thanks to you. It was really a pleasure to having you and sharing all your knowledge, your analogies and all your years of experience. And for the listeners, thank you for listening and hope to see you next time. Enjoy your day. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.